his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Welcome back. Hardline, News Radio 930 WBEN, our number two. And then you're done with us. <laughs> then you can start those pregame festivities. The countdown is already on, Joe. Maybe a nap. <laughs> I would advise against no nap. You don't want to fall asleep at halftime in a tied game. Oh, absolutely not. But, you know, that's me. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see tomorrow who's... Uh, Whose plan worked out best? But we are delighted this hour to be joined live from the Capitol, Mr. Dave Leventhal. Dave, good morning. Good morning, and uh, go Bills. I hear, hear there might be a big game coming up tonight. Oh, man. Dave, do you rem- remember the last time the Bills played a Sunday night game? Yeah, I, I have to dig back into the, the recesses of my memory. Uh, I remember being there uh, for a uh, certain Giants-Bills game, which uh, we got destroyed in in, uh, in in pretty significant fashion, but I'm not sure if that's the last one. The last one was back when I was in college, 2007, when we got a, I don't know the right word to use, let's just say it was against the Patriots and it wasn't much of a game after halftime. Uh, yes. The yes. word annihilation comes to mind, Joe. I'm hoping that's not the case tonight. I don't think it will be. This is a lot better team than that 07 squad. Dave, I have to ask you before we get into politics, what's your opinion of Josh Allen? Do you think he's the real deal? Well, I mean, any Buffalo, uh, any Buffalonian, any Bills fan who's watched him over the past uh, several games, uh, perhaps last week not included, has to feel pretty great about uh, the the progress that he's made and, of course, the performances that he's had. Uh, he does look like the real deal. I, you know, I want every reason to like the guy, and, and certainly do from what I've seen, uh, but. Hey, look, you know, we're 9-4. and four. We haven't been 9-4 and four in a generation going into the season at this point in time. So let's put it in perspective. This has exceeded, I think, most of our expectations, certainly mine. And, hey, all we got to do is win one of these next three games, and I would love to go to bed tonight knowing so well that the Bills are in the playoffs. That would- and, and take that pressure off the next two games. You know, that's, that's just the beauty of it. If we can make it happen tonight – it takes all that pressure off for the next two. And Dave, you're you're a lot better than I because let me tell you, if they win tonight, I will probably still be awake because of the adrenaline <laughs> when my alarm goes off at three thirty. I didn't say I'd be going to bed anytime soon, but you know, hey, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be a good night if, uh, if things go our way. All right, now, Dave, I have to ask you first question off the bat: Are you sick about? Are you sick talking of of impeachment? I, as a reporter here in Washington, D.C., you, you can't professionally get sick about it because it's dominated literally everything that we're talking about, writing about, investigating, be it what it may. So and it's something that we're going to have to get uh, full use to that we're going to be hearing about for the next many weeks, uh, although impeachment trials are supposed to immediately start after the House impeaches a president. Uh, we're going to have a good long winter Christmas break uh, to deal with uh, before we come back to Washington, D.C. in January for that trial to start. 
Uh, I think most people hope in earnest uh, so that it can get moving, but there's no guarantee of that either. So January is going to be impeachment month for uh, everyone across the country. And it could be a situation where it could wrap up relatively quickly. And also there's a very real scenario that it's uh, going to be a relatively long process that could not be measured in days, but it's going to be measured in, in weeks, Joe. Dave, how does this follow? So yesterday, halftime of the Army-Navy game was pretty much halftime of both college basketball games going on. So I found myself on C-SPAN. Yes, out of all 400 channels, somehow I got myself on C-SPAN. And I noticed that the articles of impeachment in the Clinton impeachment were being debated also in December. When did that trial begin? That trial began uh, it almost, uh, and, and I have to look back at the exact date, but it was very quick. I think it was w- within uh, several days, uh, maybe a week of uh, the actual uh, vote in the U.S. House. So it was something that it uh, happened the way it was supposed to happen, at least the way it was drawn up by the framers, that the trial would begin uh, quite quickly after the uh, actual articles of impeachment were voted on by the U.S. House. So here again, uh, in this situation, it's just happening uh, during Christmas, and it's uh, happening when everyone uh, here on Capitol Hill, from the members of Congress themselves to staffs or whatnot, they got plane tickets out of here. Uh, I'm going to Texas myself. Uh, A lot of people are going to be leaving, so the expectation that this would actually be happening over the holidays, no, not going to happen this time around. Dave, let me uh, ask you, because obviously you're there. You you talk to the the big wigs. Um, Are there any concerns from Democrats in Congress that votes from their party members against impeachment is a bad look going into 2020. Yeah, there is concern. And and let's just step back for a moment. Uh, There has been concern for months and months and months by Democratic leaders here that impeachment was just simply the wrong way to go. Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, others at the top of uh, the the Democratic Party have, have long thought uh, up until very recently that the best way to get Donald Trump out of office, if you wanted him out of office, was to do so at the ballot box, to wait until November 2020, put up a strong Democratic candidate and beat Donald Trump through the vote, not through the impeachment process. Obviously, that didn't go that way. There were basically an insurrection in the ranks and that many, many Democrats in the U.S. House wanted to go ahead and impeach the president. Ultimately, that, of course, happened. Nancy Pelosi went on board with that. And here we are today. But the notion that you can have a couple of Democrats peel away and vote against the articles of impeachment, expect that to happen. There are probably going to be a few, particularly those who are more moderate Democrats who are in swing districts who might have a tough race ahead of them in 2020 themselves. Or you could also, too, Joe, have a situation where, since there are two articles of impeachment, you might have a couple of Democrats, a handful of Democrats who vote in favor of one of the articles and actually vote against another of the other articles to perhaps give themselves some political cover, or maybe they just fundamentally disagree with one and, and not the other. So that that could be a likelihood as well. Uh, Dave, the president has been tweeting quite a bit. I think he's had 123, which may be a record for him uh, in one day. And in addition to impeachment, he was tweeting about Greta Thunberg, who uh, Time Magazine named Person of the Year. What are you hearing in D.C. about that? Many people have characterized it as petty, that he's going after a young girl and so forth. Uh, what's been the reaction down in Washington? Well, I've talked to Republicans and Democrats both who just think it's uh, generally a, a bad look, uh, regardless of who the 16-year-old is or what she's done. The notion that the president of the United States would be making fun of a 16-year-old, a child, is uh, 
in their opinion, not the greatest thing in the world for the president to be doing or spending time on. That being said, it seems effectively that all Republicans uh, who support the president or not uh, have just come to grips with the idea that Donald Trump is going to tweet what Donald Trump wants to tweet, uh, that nobody is going to be able to stop him, and that if he wants to tweet about this or anything else, he's going to do so, and that's really going to be up to him. You know, it's interesting, too, because Melania Trump really keeps a low profile, and yet she was outraged uh, reportedly by uh, Barron Trump being mentioned uh, when the professor in the hearings brought him up, and then she apologized about that. Uh, But yet... She was very upset about that, and according to all reports, there was no outrage about her husband saying anything about Greta Thunberg. And even Stephanie Grisham, the um, press secretary, said that President Trump and Melania Trump expressed themselves differently. Do you think this will continue to have traction, Dave? (laughs) Well, expressing themselves differently would would definitely be uh, an understatement. (laughs) been uh, effectively silent uh, on, on what Donald Trump has tweeted about uh, about Greta Thunberg. And, uh, and also, too, it's worth noting that Melania Trump is, for a, a long while since becoming First Lady, she started this uh, Be Best campaign. Uh, it goes under the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Be Best. And it's all about uh, sort of uh, anti-bullying and being respectful to people, particularly on social media and, uh, and just being your best uh, when you're performing any type of communication such as that. And, of course, when uh, her husband, the president of the United States, uh, begins tweeting things that are personal attacks on people, um, particularly in the situation that we're just talking about right now, it, uh, it would seem to undercut that message just a little bit. Dave, I want to go back to the upcoming impeachment trial. I think we know how the vote's going to go. I am interested in seeing who votes against it and who uh, on the Democrat side. But the Senate trial... Do you see or have you heard of any potential Republicans who may vote to convict the president or right now whose vote may be up for grabs? I have not. And it seems unlikely at this point that that there would be, uh, you know, almost any Republicans who would vote in favor of convicting the president, uh, vote in favor of removing the president. So. This seems like a done deal, Joe, in that that there's going to be a whole lot of shouting between now and that ultimate vote in the U.S. Senate. But there are several things that appear to be a done deal. Number one, that the U.S. House of Representatives will impeach the president of the United States, and that will happen this coming week. And number two, that this is going to move to the Senate and that the U.S. Senate, which is controlled by Republicans, which requires a supermajority of two-thirds of the U.S. Senate to convict a president in an impeachment trial, that it is absolutely not going to convict the president of the United States on either of these two articles of impeachment. So President Trump, whether it's in January or February, whatever the timing may be, is going to get out of this, barring something just completely unforeseen at this point in time, He's going to get out of this still being president of the United States and also being able to sort of ride a wave that that will come with being exonerated by the U.S. Senate. He'll be able to say, look, this was a hoax the whole time. I was not convicted. I'm still the president of the United States and onward and upward. And you got to remember back uh, even when Bill Clinton was uh, acquitted in his Senate impeachment trial, that he pretty much did the same thing. Of course, a different circumstance. He was at the end of his second term as president, although Al Gore was running alongside with him. And they actually went to Buffalo, New York. I was there uh, in the arena downtown, and they had a big rally. And 
It was sort of a campaign opportunity for Al Gore and definitely a victory lap for Bill Clinton. I would be be very surprised if Donald Trump wouldn't treat this as anything but a huge, massive victory for him and something to shore up his support and and the interest in his reelection campaign and that uh, Donald Trump will be gloating about this uh, from the time it happens until all the way to the election. There, you, know, you look at the polls, and I know we learned in 2016, Dave, you can't look at the polls too closely. Um, but the president's approval rating, not that it's all that high, but hasn't really taken a hit during this impeachment. And now it looks like favor of the impeachment is starting to take somewhat of a hit. Is there a hope by Democrats in the Senate that, yes, the president might not get convicted, but if they put on a good enough show or present uh, a facts that public opinion can go can start moving back toward uh, favor of impeachment. Well, the core of uh, the Democrats' argument here is that the president has abused his power, and in fact, in their opinion, continues to abuse his power. Now, you may violently disagree with that. You may support that notion, but that's going to be basically the argument that you're going to be hearing from Democrats. And they're going to be tamping down expectations, too. You've already heard them do so uh, to this point that even if this doesn't end in a conviction of the president, even if he isn't removed from office, that uh, a whole bunch of stuff is going to come to light that wouldn't have otherwise come to light about the way that the president conducts his business on behalf of the American people and that he is using, again, in their opinion, uh, the office of the president of the United States, presidency of the United States, to go and uh, get foreign powers to attack political rivals, uh, which is something that uh, would, uh, under any circumstance, a Democrat, Republican in office undermine elections in the country, which are supposed to be free and fair and, uh, in, uh, you know, just completely devoid of any type of foreign influence. Uh, is that going to be something that is going to be compelling to voters in October and November of 2020? Hard to predict, but you better believe that Democrats are going to try to do that going forward, and and that really starts now. And Dave, I wanted to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about NY twenty seven. What what do you hear about uh, post Chris Collins here in the Buffalo area? There are a lot of candidates who have tossed their hat into the ring, um, and a Perlato, Beth Perlato source said that the candidate uh, attended a policy discussion at the White House. But I'd say she's probably the least known of everybody. What what are you hearing about um, NY twenty seven in D.C.? Yeah, it, it hasn't uh, you know been uh, quite the talk of the town given given that little impeachment thing that we've got. <laughs> There's that matter, yes. Uh, Buffalonians all the time, and definitely New York 27 comes up. Uh, it seems that in in the aftermath of Chris Collins uh, pleading guilty and, and uh, leaving a congressional office, that uh, we have what's going to be quite a primary fight uh, on on our hands here. But that when you look to the general election, that uh, the the one thing that uh, seem to almost be a certainty, uh, save for Chris Collins being involved, is, is going to happen, that, that this is going to be a Republican stronghold, that it will be incredibly difficult for any Democrat to win that seat. you got to remember that New York 27, back in 2016, when Donald Trump was running for president, that it went 24 percentage points in the direction of Donald Trump. This is an incredibly red district. There's no indication that if you have a serviceable Republican candidate uh, running in in that election, that that person isn't going to win. Now, Nate McMurray is going to do everything that he can, and he may get a challenge, get a strong challenge in a primary, too. But 
presuming he is the Democratic nominee again, then, well, it's going to be very difficult for him to make a compelling case in a district like that to uh, to to be elected when he's not running against somebody who is tainted by scandal and federal investigation and now is going to, uh, in all likelihood, uh, be be going to jail for a period of time and definitely be penalized uh, in, in court in a major way. It certainly looks that way, Dave. And we've got uh, Chris Jacobs, Rob Ord, who've declared Beth Parlato, as I mentioned, possibly Stefan Mihailu. And there's talk uh, today, your colleague or, or your uh, your political colleague, if you will, Bob McCarthy, was talking about Stephen Hawley throwing his hat in the race. Any idea if you think that might happen, that he's jumping into the race late uh, and whether he can gain any traction? It's possible. I, you know, all of this is uh, kind of was <laughs> kind of in the context of well, you know, would David Bellavia get uh, involved in this? He ultimately chose not to. Uh, somebody who, by any definition, is an American hero, riding the wave of being honored uh, at the White House and in the fashion that that he was. Uh, you know, somebody who has really just uh, gained stature and profile in in the most incredible uh, of ways and <laughs> deservedly so. Since he's not involved, it, it's really going to be a, a, a fight. And you've got candidates who are in the District 27 race on the Republican side, somewhat well-known, but definitely nobody uh, with the, the last name of uh, a Collins or, you know, Bellavia, somebody who uh, definitely had more name recognition than many of the candidates. Perhaps uh, Stefan Mahailu might be the most well-known, just uh, given his uh, his stature from his media days and television days and uh, as an elected official right now, but it's going to be a tough one and Republicans are going to have a big choice on their hands. Dave, keeping it in Congress, uh, news came out, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that New Jersey Congressman Jeff Van Drew is going to or is contemplating switching parties from Democrat to Republican. Now, he has been the loudest voice on the Democrat side against impeachment. Is there anything else to this uh, switch? Yeah, and probably a name that most people have never heard of until right now. He actually he hasn't been somebody who has uh, had the limelight on him as other members of the House, particularly House leaders, uh, either on the Republican, uh, the R side or the D side. But this is somebody in, in Jeff Vandrew who just a few weeks ago said that there was no way that he was switching parties. And he's uh, certainly being painted by Democrats as having made a very cynical decision in the sense that he's switching to the Republican Party. He represents a, a Republican district or a Republican majority district that went for Donald Trump in 2016 and is going to probably face, if he stays a Democrat, uh, a very strong primary race uh, and could even lose in that. But on the other side, you know, you've got to be a political pragmatist sometimes. And uh, this is somebody who is long said that he doesn't support impeachment. He's switching parties and that, that he has good reason to do so. And uh, that's going to go down. Now, the president is making a very big deal about it, and rightfully so for, on his part, given that he's got a, a Democrat to go to the Republican side. And I think any Republican would make hay about that. But is this really going to matter in the whole scheme of things? Probably not. Is this going to matter to the impeachment vote? Probably not. Is this a black eye for Democrats to a certain degree? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but it's not something that is really probably going to have any material effect on the two big things at hand here. Number one, impeachment, and number two, the Democrats' ability to hold the House in 2020. This is just one seat out of uh, several hundred here and uh, just one race out of several hundred as well. Across the pond, Dave, uh, 
Boris Johnson's election victory. I'm wondering what you think it means for Democrats in the U.S. and relations between President Trump uh, administration and also Boris Johnson. What do you think the fallout will be uh, with that? Well, I, uh, if if you're a Republican, it's uh, not fallout at all. It's uh, it's a great thing. Donald Trump and uh, Boris Johnson have forged at least uh, a, you know a, a solid working relationship. Uh, the uh, the UK is uh, one of our strongest, biggest, most important allies, and having two leaders uh, who are copacetic uh, with one another is is a good thing, I, I think most people <laughs> would think. Uh, and definitely, uh, you know, President Trump and, and Boris Johnson just philosophically have very similar uh, thoughts on a lot of policy matters, most uh, most importantly, which uh, for both the U.K. and to an extent the United States, as it applies to our international re- relations, is Brexit. And both of them are very much on the same page when it comes to wanting uh, the U.K. to leave the European Union. Uh, Donald Trump feels that's uh, the right way to go. And Boris Johnson is at the tip of that particular spear uh, about uh, UK going through with Brexit, which has just been an absolute disaster of a process and one that's not over yet. You know, David, it strikes me, too, that both of these gentlemen are cut from the same cloth in that they're unorthodox politicians. And uh, Boris Johnson is an interesting character, too. I saw him walking around carrying his dog. And, you know, he, he's very um, outrageous in the way he conducts himself. And it strikes me as odd the way many people in Britain seem so buttoned up and proper. How do you think this guy has been able to resonate with the British uh, and the U.K. public to the extent that he has? Well, it's always a little dangerous to draw too many parallels between U.K., British politics and American politics. But, yeah, there he was in the midst of this election, standing on stage, talking with a dude with a bucket on his head. (laughs) Guy dressed up as Elmo from Sesame Street or something that looked like Elmo. It was bizarre. It was crazy. It was unorthodox in every way that you have it. But in a way, it's kind of almost just what you would expect in politics <laughs> at this point in time, whether it's across the pond in the U.K. or even here in the United States. Uh, this is just a very weird and wild time. There's nothing buttoned up about uh, politics in either of our two countries. And in a way, it would almost seem odd if that thing wouldn't, uh, wasn't happening or that type of thing wasn't happening in politics uh, for either of our two countries. Dave, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Paul Volcker's name. He was 92 years old. He passed away and... Many considered him a great man and a great American because he did things that uh, many people would not want to do. Um, he administered some tough medicine when the American economy economy badly needed it. Uh, how do you think Volker, Volker will be remembered uh, after all these years? Well, he has an incredible legacy and somebody who, uh, when he uh, took the helm of the Fed uh, back in, in the late 1970s, uh, you know, many people who were born after he was around or born even in the 70s, just have no appreciation. And I was born in 1979, so it's history to me, too. But uh, here's somebody who basically just stood firm and fought to get just insane, incredible inflation, stagflation, where the economy was an absolute mess at that point. The dollar was incredibly weak. People were very, very reluctant to invest in anything on paper, whether that's uh, U.S. currency, whether that was stocks, and uh, was able to hold the line even as things got worse before they got better. Uh, His tenure dovetailed with Ronald Reagan coming in as president, and uh, they were able to, along with many other factors, usher in during the 80s uh, a massive turnaround from 
the horrible economic times of, uh, of the late 1970s and into the early 80s when you had back-to-back recessions. So bottom line, he'll be remembered as somebody who really set a American uh, monetary policy and, and helped the finances of, of the United States uh, go in a direction where we've never had a worry ever since about inflation of the sort that we saw back in the 1970s when, man, people were investing in just about anything that they possibly could that, that wasn't paper from oil to gold, precious metals, uh, you know, agriculture, beans, whatever you wanted. Uh, it, was, it seemed like a better thing to do at that point in time than anything dealing with money. The old saying, a picture paints a thousand words. I remember the uh, the gas lines, you know, just snaking around the gas stations. And uh, I really give Volcker a lot of credit for being able to stem inflation the way he did and raise those interest rates to beat it down. It really was a remarkable thing to do and extremely unpopular. I can't imagine in today's day of Twitter and social media the kind of beating he would have taken on those fronts. And he really did. And uh, he'd probably be taking a massive beating from Donald Trump uh, or any other president, uh, it was just a different time. Uh, and it, it really, for the Fed, it, it set, kind of, he drew a line in the sand, a very profound one, saying, look, we're going to do what we think is right, and we're going to not bow to political pressure from the president, for sure, and even Congress, which has oversight of the Fed. Dave, I've got to ask you one last question. There's something called headline stress disorder. And it's a new survey of 2,000 Americans uh, that found that the political discourse is so vitriolic right now that it's taking a serious mental toll. An astounding 78%, according to this article, of respondents say politics are the number one source of anxiety and stress in their life. You deal with it day in and day out. How do you de-stress? How do you get away from all the madness of politics? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm going to go for a nice long run today, and uh, even though we're four miles from the U.S. capital where we live, I try to just, you know get out in nature, get away from the news, even though I live right in the belly of it. But hey, this survey doesn't surprise me in the least. Everyone who I talk to, members of my family, friends, Republicans, Democrats, it, it's overwhelming. And hey, as a journalist, it, it's hard to keep up from hour to hour what's going on when you might have any of two, three, ten, twenty different news breaks and headlines coming out in a day, and it's difficult to keep track of it. So I, I, I always feel in, incredibly uh, sympathetic, empathetic for, for consumers of news, for readers of news, trying to understand exactly what's going on, why they should care, why this matters, and, 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 and what it means to, to their own lives. Uh, and it, it, it is stressful. So Unfortunately, it has the result sometimes of people tuning out and people not caring as much as perhaps they should on big decisions that are getting made that will have an effect uh, on their lives, uh, even in pretty profound ways. Uh, but I, I don't think there's any great elixir to it at this point. Uh, this is the way that things are at this point. And uh, we will have a very big decision in November of 2020 on our hands. So I would just encourage people to Find good news sources, have a, a omnivorous diet of news so that they're not in an echo chamber just listening or reading or watching one thing all the time and uh, so that they can be as informed a citizen as they possibly can be to make good decisions for themselves, their family, their community, and their country when it comes time for them to exercise the right that they have, which is to go and vote and to go and participate in democracy, support a candidate, work for a campaign, volunteer, and all the things that we can do and we're lucky enough to do in this country uh, by being a, a free democracy as we are. You know, in about uh, a little less than nine hours, we'll have a good distraction too, Dave. So go Bills, enjoy your run, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. 
My pleasure. Go Bills indeed. Yes, thank you, Dave. Dave Leventhal joining us from D.C. We all need that distraction, Brenda. No doubt about it. Everyone makes fun of, you know, I'm a little too obsessed with my sports teams, you know, the Mets, Virginia Tech, the Bills. Uh, But it's a good three or four hours that you can just forget everything else and, you know, what, what's the word? Unite with people that sometimes won't talk to you because of your political differences. Well, that's one of the things about sports that I truly love, Joe, and I've been a sports fan my whole life. It does unite people from all different professions and, and ethnicities, and we all have sort of the common goal. You want to see the Bills win or the Sabres win. There is a certain esprit de corps about that uh, with sports that brings people together in a unique way. And in a society that's so fractured right now, I think sports are even more important than ever to bring people together you know you see people driving around with bills and and sabers flags you can find common ground to talk about um, something like that it it just is a wonderful way to bring people together no matter what their political beliefs their religious beliefs whatever their their family backgrounds are uh that's the true beauty of sports in my opinion i agree i agree all right we are late for a break so we are going to take this break Come back, talk about a few local things happening. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome back. It is Hardline. Here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Thank you to Siobhan O'Connor for joining us in the first hour. And to Dave Leventhal for joining us in the second hour. You know, Brenda, you always you always tell yourself, all right, we've got this many questions. I hope this gets us. And then the segment's over and you're like, I didn't even get through all the questions. I know. that's Well, that's a good feeling, though, right? It is, yeah. Um, Dave is just a, a fountain of information, and I really enjoy listening to him every Tuesday with Brian and Susan on the uh, morning show here on WBEN. And I like the fact that he's a Buffalo guy. You know, he's really loyal to this area, still wears the red, white, and blue, and uh, is, is a great resource for us here at WBEN. So nice of him to take time on a Sunday morning. And especially like we were saying, Joe, uh, the guy eat, breathes, and, and sleeps politics. That's what he does for a living. And as he mentioned, he's in the belly of the beast. So it's probably very difficult for him to decompress. And so all the more we appreciate him taking time on a Sunday. Oh, for sure. For sure. So we covered impeachment. We covered party switching. We covered NY27, which it seems everyone's starting to forget, Brenda, but <laughs> we're four months away from that uh, special election. So, you know, these next few months, Hardline specifically, will be 
NY27 uh, most of the time. Oh, no doubt about it. But it goes to show you how much is happening in the world of politics from week to week, uh, not to mention from day to day, because it's easy to sort of put that on the back burner because there are always other things that seem to come up. And one of the other things locally that came up was Kevin Schuler. Does that name ring a bell? Well, he's the guy who was convicted in the Buffalo Billion uh, trial. Uh, a few months ago, and Republicans recently on the Niagara County Legislature, in fact, it was this past Tuesday, voted to hire Kevin Schuler by an 8-5 to five vote as Niagara County's public information officer, and really that's essentially the county's spokesperson. So uh, wondering what you think about that, 803-0930, star 930. Uh, I find it kind of hard to believe that they couldn't find somebody else without a felony on their record to be the uh, PIO for Niagara County. Uh, He will serve in that capacity, earning a salary of $79,000. In fact, there was a $10,000 jump from the the job's 2019 salary. So uh, Schuler will respond to reporters' inquiries and uh, uh, handle publicity for the county government. He's expected to start early next year. And uh, Republican Majority Leader Randy Bratt, who is a Republican from North Tonawanda, felt that Schuler was the guy for the job because he called him the most qualified job candidate. And, well, I'm wondering what you think about that. I think there might have been other people who may have been qualified. Um, On the other hand, there are those who say everybody deserves a second chance. Uh, The only thing that kind of bothers me is that they push this through rather quickly. And it makes you wonder, what was the hurry? You know, if this guy is truly the best candidate for the job, why not let it play out? Why not let everything play out the way it should instead of rushing through? So, uh, Joe, looks like, do we have a call? No? Oh, no call. Okay. Joe, what did you think of this whole situation? Yes, yes. But 803-0930, if you'd like to get on. You know, Brenda, first thing that comes to mind, not a great look for Niagara County. Uh, really and, bad optics. <laughs> and, and like <laughs> you said, makes you wonder. There's not a better option. I, I mean, usually for most of us, if we get conf- uh, convicted, that's going to hinder our opportunity at a spotlight job as this gentleman is getting. So it is a bad look, but in 2019, not overly surprising, if that makes sense. Well, you know, and, and it really, Schuler was a, a behind-the-scenes guy, and he handled political matters for Lou Simonelli, and then he avoided a prison sentence for his cooperation. So uh, Schuler was ordered, instead of going to jail, he was ordered to perform 400 hours of community service, and also he was subject to two years of supervised release. So Schuler was really uh, able to avoid spending time in the Gray Bar Hotel, which is, to me, the... <laughs> My favorite term for prison. Um, but I'm wondering, Joe, what do you think the urgency was here? Uh, all of a sudden, they decided to put Schuler in this position of public information officer, wondering what people in Niagara County think about this. Probably an attempt for so it doesn't ha- d- didn't get the media attention that it is now starting to get. Like I told you, Brenda, I had not heard the story uh, until you brought it to my attention, and Kevin from Pendleton, who texted in, brought it to my attention. So... So far, they've been somewhat successful, but I think once the word gets out, you're going to see some uh, some outcry from the community. And my question to you, Brenda, do you see this maybe getting reversed and him getting removed if the public does 
uh, get outraged about no, it. No, I don't. Um, you know, I I think that you know, there will be a lot of scrutiny on Kevin Schuler in this new position. He was quoted as saying that he will be effective in his new job and would not, again, violate the public trust. He said he learned from his mistakes and he was qualified to do the PIO job. Um, interesting, interesting story here with this Kevin Schuler situation. Um, it was a partisan eight to five vote. Uh, the legislature approved the hiring of this gentleman. He was what's called a politically wired executive at LP Simonelli. And if you recall, he pleaded guilty in May of 2018 to two felony charges involving the fixing of a bid to manage the construction of the 70, uh, excuse me, the $750 million Tesla plant in South Buffalo. So, Joe, as you and I were saying, there were so many stories that come between what happened in May of 2018 to where we are in December of 2019. It's easy for this to kind of get lost in the mix of all of these stories, um, whether it's local, regional, or national politics. But that's, that's the name Kevin Schuler. So now he'll serve as the county's public information officer, and uh, Randy Brandt, the majority leader, was all for it. So we'll see what happens. It was an 8-to-5 vote. If you live in Niagara County, I'd love to know what you have to say, 803-0930. The Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board is always available to you as well, 30930. Yeah, uh, let us know because, like I said, Brenda brought that to my attention. If that was, I mean, I don't even live in Niagara County, and I'm pretty outraged about it. I can't imagine if now this person is benefiting off your tax dollars as someone who has been convicted but did uh, avoid the, what did you call it, Brenda? I liked that term. The Gray Bar Hotel? The Gray Bar Hotel. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. You know where I first heard the term, Joe? I was always a huge David Letterman fan. And Letterman used to talk about the Gray Bar Hotel when Martha Stewart was convicted. So he used to bring that up in his monologue just about every night whenever uh, Martha was in the news. Um, Dennis Virtuoso is the minority leader in Niagara Falls with uh, the legislature. He was critical of Kevin Schuler's appointment and his GOP colleagues for supporting it. Uh, Virtuoso was credited as saying, when you look at his resume, it's a fine resume, but he left out something. He left out a 36-page indictment, and he left out a seven-page plea bargain deal. So the gloves are off in Niagara County. Um, There's always a lot of stuff going on in that county, as certainly there is in Erie County. Uh, But, Joe, there was an interesting question you raised about whether they'd be able to reverse that decision. I don't think it'll happen only because um, the Republicans are in charge at the moment in uh, Niagara County. So I think Kevin Schuler will be the face of the Niagara County legislature, and people will probably be more accustomed to seeing him when breaking news happens uh, in 2020 in Niagara County. It'll be interesting. Uh, Brenda, now, one thing on the national scene we didn't get to with Dave, but I'd like to know your thoughts, or at least set it up, the Democrat primary yes. is coming yes. up. Yes, we is never it, did get to that with Dave. You're right. It's next week, right? Yes, in Los Angeles. and uh, Six candidates. As of last count, a half dozen candidates. Um, it's a lot different. All look. men, I might add. There's no uh, women. who. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I should say all white. Because Elizabeth Warren will be there. Amy Klobuchar did not? And Amy Klobuchar, oh. yes. Excuse me. So all white people. There are no people of uh, uh, of ethnicity. Kamala Harris has dropped out. Cory Booker didn't make the cut. Uh, so it should be interesting to see. But I still maintain, Joe, that I don't think there's any one candidate who can beat President Trump as of today. Uh, I think that uh, the slate has not really produced anybody who uh, will, will really rise above the fray. People think that, according to some of the polls I've read, that Joe Biden can beat President Trump. I just don't see it. 
I have maintained all along, I don't think Joe Biden's heart is in this. I think he's doing it almost because he thinks he should run for president. Um, a lot of these other candidates just don't seem to be gaining any traction with voters. And uh, it'll be uh, an interesting debate in the sense that I, it'll be a, a gaff watch with Joe Biden. Will he make any mistakes? Will he say anything outrageous? And uh, and yet, when he does, it doesn't seem to bite him in the sense that he's still leading the pack. I think, and Brenda, this is obviously from someone who more associates with the Trump camp. I think it's because people look at Joe Biden and they see the other candidates, especially the other five on this stage uh, next week, and they see how far to the left they're going and some of the, econo- the economic plans that when they're asked, how is this going to be funded? They don't have an answer for right. it. They look at Joe Biden, gaff machine as he is, compared to Trump, who also is known to have a gaff here or there. And they see Joe Biden as the moderate Democrat that can get the independents that might have gone for Trump in 2016. They think this, out of all those candidates, this is the only guy that can maybe beat Trump at his own game. There could be. Um, <laughs> but do you agree with me that none of them have really gained any true traction? Nobody has really stood out except probably Warren and Sanders because of how left they are. And that's why I don't think they have a shot. I think, you know, Democrats realize that they're just way too far to the left. They're too radically left. Um, and so I don't I don't see them really rising to the top. Biden is your guy but he's a gaff machine. I think there's still some luster associated with Joe Biden uh, because of his connection with Barack Obama. And a lot of the other candidates, African-American candidates, don't seem to be pulling in support from the African-American community. So uh, it's a very interesting dynamic at this point. But Amy Klobuchar, I think, may be the only one who is gaining a little bit of uh, support in middle America. You would think she'd be kind of a, a slam dunk, right? She's from Minnesota. She's a senator. She's been on the, the House Judiciary Committee for a long time. I think there's a certain lack of charisma with her. And I think her vocal styling is difficult sometimes. She doesn't present as a really strong, charismatic speaker like some of the candidates of the past. And even President Trump, even though he makes some mistakes when he's speaking, um, draws people in. He knows how to play a crowd. He knows how to appeal to people. And I don't see that with her or many of the other candidates. Biden is just kind of like, you know, he's there. He's he's well known. He was Barack Obama's vice president for eight years. So maybe he's the guy that can still pull in African-American support by virtue of that connection. And that is a question that I, I'd like to have the answer to, because you saw Kamala Harris um, drop out a few weeks ago. And she said uh, it was because she was an African-American woman. But my question to African-American voters, why do they go? toward Joe Biden, when you have Cory Booker, when you have Kamala Harris on the stage, is it because you feel Joe Biden is the best to beat Trump? And in this primary, you're not really voting for the best candidate. Let's be honest. You're voting for who can beat Trump. The Who out of the independents, out of those Obama voters that went for Trump in 2016, which one of the, which candidate can bring those people back to the Democrat Party and defeat Trump. That is the 2020 mission. You know, and there's seven Democratic candidates next week who have qualified for the debate um, in Los Angeles. In fact, they're holding it at Loyola Marymount University, uh, a private school in L.A. But there's a lot of talk, Joe, and I'm sure you've heard about this. There's a union representing um, 
uh, cashiers, cooks, dishwashers, and servers at the university. And some of the folks are saying that they don't want to cross the union picket line. So there may not be a debate as a result of that. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens with this uh, debate. Uh, They had hoped that a lot of workers would have a contract with wages and affordable health insurance before the debate took, uh, took place next week. Workers instead will be picketing when the candidates come to campus. So, Joe, the question is, will they cross that picket line? Oh, that is a good question. I would say, I don't want to say no because of the debate, but that will be very interesting to see, Brenda. I, you know, with sports betting now available downtown, I do not want to uh, pick either side. (laughs) Yes, I understand. Well, Elizabeth Warren, I think, is using this to her advantage. She tweeted that the Local 11, which is the union that we're talking about, is fighting for better wages and benefits, and she stands with them. So she's saying the DNC should find a solution that lives up to the Democrat Party's commitment to fight for working people. Elizabeth Warren says she will not cross the union's picket line, even if it means missing the debate. So how much of this do you think, Joe, is political rhetoric? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's all it's all for votes, Brenda. And we'll see what happens. It'll be very interesting either way how they uh, spin this to their campaign or through their campaign. Yes, Bernie Sanders also said the same thing. Andrew Yang is tweeting that he will not cross Local 11's picket line to attend the debate. This could be a very light debate. It could be. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see. And Brenda, I'm sure we will talk about it next Sunday. I look forward to it. Go Bills. Go Bills. I hope everyone gets that afternoon nap in. Get rested. Enjoy the game tonight. I will be back here tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Obviously, Brenda and I will be back here next Sunday at 10 getting you up to date and informed on everything political. Enjoy your Sunday. Go Bills. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. hi And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.